Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. A sort of sub-series that I'm teaching on how to save the family. And um, last week I finished up how to save the nation with the, the necessity of vision. But I want to say before we get into this, um, the Lord has laid on my heart because I, I get, I, my, my primary calling is that of uh, a, a pastor and teacher with an apostolic uh, anointing of setting things in order. That's sort of my, my primary calling. Um, I'm not called primarily to be an evangelist with a, with a capital E. That's not the office that I, I occupy. And many do. I mean, Billy Graham was an evangelist. Uh, James Robinson is an evangelist. Franklin Graham is an evangelist. And, and I could go on. Um, but, but we're all charged to be evangelists with a small e, which is to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord laid in my heart because I get into my teaching and, and sometimes occasionally go a little longer than I planned, that, that I should make sure that everybody knows, that everybody knows what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So for those of you watching today, let me just say that everything I'm going to teach today rests on this foundation, that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, that he is God come in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins, and that he did that, that he absolutely committed no sin, that he, he, he knew no sin whatsoever. So when he died, he died for hours. And on the third day, in keeping with the promise of the Father that he himself had articulated to his disciples, he rose with all authority in his hands to be your Savior, to be your Lord. In fact, I was thinking about John 3.16 and thinking of it this way, God so loved me. You ought to think about it that way for yourself. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son. Amen. That if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that in short is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything that I teach is based upon that foundation. And if you don't get that, the rest doesn't matter. I mean, it might help you marginally, but it's all rooted and grounded in faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I had a, a man when I was in Boston, uh, asked to meet with me one time after church. I sat down with him and he says to me, he said, Bishop, I, 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 I then Reverend, he said, Reverend or Pastor, I, I really love your preaching. He said, and, and I get a lot out of it. He said, I just have one issue. I said, well, what's that? He said, I don't believe in the stuff of Jesus as Savior. He said, but I'd like to be a member of the church just to, you know, so I can sit here and, and listen to you. I said, well, you can't. <laughs> I said, because to be a member of the church means you must be a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prerequisite for joining. You must express your faith in him as Savior and Lord. And without that, all the stuff I'm teaching is not going to help you anyway. Because I mean, what good is it going to do for you to hear some principles that you might apply and then die and go to hell? Um, and I said, so you're welcome to come and visit. And maybe at some point you'll change your mind. I said, but no, membership's not available to you as someone who's told me you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He never came back again. Um, yeah, never came back again. So, yeah, that is a prerequisite to everything else. I just want to get that out there so that everybody understands that I'm not teaching something separate from the gospel. What I'm teaching grows out of the gospel. 
Amen. All right, how to save the family. Uh, part three, and the subtitle of this is Raising Sons in an Anti-Masculine Culture. Raising Sons in an Anti-Masculine Culture. Remember those of you watching on Facebook, if you want to connect with us, go to thecall.org and uh, sign up. Uh, we have an extension membership, or you can just sign up to, to just ask for a prayer or to connect with us in whatever way you choose. All right, 1 Chronicles 12, 23 and 32 are the verses I want to use uh, to illustrate, uh, to begin at least, this message. And you all are familiar with at least the 32nd verse, but here's what these two verses read. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. So we're talking about David being inaugurated as king. And it goes through a long list of the various tribes and who they put forward uh, as men of war. 32nd verse says, of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, raising sons in an anti-masculine culture. Now, I didn't plan to, to teach this message, but something came across my desk that got me thinking about this. And so I started doing some research, I read a book and I started realizing, and this thing is more acute than I realized, A, and B, I understood, I never, I've never really focused, I've talked about the absence of fathers, but never really focused on the absence of fathers' impact on boys specifically, on sons specifically. Uh, because the thought has always been basically, well, you know, I mean, it has an impact on girls and boys, and it does, but I'm going to show you in this message that the impact on sons is so much more devastating. Well, right now, our society is in an anti-masculine meltdown, right? You got feminism, which is really, I mean, there's, there's really radical feminism, but I think feminism in general is problematic because really what it does is to, to say to women that you are inherently being mistreated by men and you've got to stand up for yourself as a woman and we've got to do something to transform society to make sure that that happens. Uh, that's why they call it feminism. And they, they got that right out of communism and socialism, feminism. Uh, it's identity politics. And so it no, shouldn't be as any surprise that it, it, it's, it's morphed into very, very radical views um, and, and attitudes toward men and toward manhood. So there's that. There's homosexuality and transgenderism. Uh, which really, in my view, the precursor of this was the androgyny movement. You all remember Michael Jackson and David Bowie and, and uh, Prince. And, you know, he's, I mean, Prince is still alive, obviously. But, but, but these, Prince, oh, Prince is dead. Yeah. Well, you know, there's an old song saying, I didn't know he was dead. I, I knew he was dead, but I forgot. Wow. Needless to say, I wasn't a Prince fan. Um, I, yeah, I forget, I, that's right, I did hear that. Yes. Um, but, but at any rate, the, these are, are guys who develop a persona that was neither male nor female. 
that was as much feminine as masculine. Okay? I mean, I used to look at Michael Jackson and you take a double take and think, wow, he looks like a woman. And of course, David Bowie was very intentional about it. And, you know, he kind of expressed it, that he was trying to, to achieve that, that, that look. So, and then of course, a, a lot of stuff has grown out of that. And I am absolutely convinced you can just chalk this up to my own particular prejudice, if you prefer, but I think the men wearing two earrings and you know all the jewelry, I think all of that stuff has kind of grown out of this androgynous movement that you know men can do the same things that women do. In fact, do we have that? Were we able to get that up? Let me, let me show you this. Let me show you this. Uh, you all probably saw this, this GQ um, uh, 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 front page, uh, cover page. Uh, that's Farrell. And notice, he's, he's got this flowing gown on. And it says, the new masculinity. So that's, that's where we are. Look, an exploration of identity, culture, and style in 2019. So see, I'm, I'm convinced all this stuff began back in the 60s and 70s with smaller incremental steps. And now we've come to this, where, by the way, if you say, that's horrible, something wrong with you. You're the bad person. What's wrong with you? You know, come on. He's expressing himself. I mean, but then you call him a him and you might get flack on that too. Because, you know, nowadays, you know, you got to change the pronouns and all that. And, you know, it, at any rate, you get. Here are some statistics about boys. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we don't want to have that behind us. <laughs> But consider these statistics, and I've got a number of them. The National Academy of Sciences says Native Americans and white males are leading in suicides in America. Hispanic, Asian, and black Americans commit suicide more often than females in their demographic, but only one-third the rate of American males of European ancestry. In other words, white males are committing suicide at alarmingly high rates. Suicide is the sixth leading cause of death for men, but it's not even in the top 10 for women. Now, American males of African ancestry, only 6% of the population, make up 43% of the murder victims. I think the last time I looked at this data, uh, a black male was eight or nine times more likely to be killed than a white male, and it wasn't by a police officer. He was more likely to be killed by another black person. Uh, more black boys between the ages of 10 and 20 years old are killed by homicide than the next nine leading causes of death. Are we okay? Than the next nine leading causes of death. I mean, think about that. More black boys between the ages of 10 and 20 are killed by homicide than the next nine leading causes of death. Oh, combined, combined. And by the way, death by cop is not even an infinitesimal part of that. It's street murder, you know, which is again, one of my major problems with this whole Black Lives Matter movement uh, because you're ignoring all the deaths that are taking place 
Only a particular kind of death is important and all the others don't seem to matter, which means that, well, therefore, it's not really about black lives. It's about, it's about a particular aspect of, of black life. And, uh, and here again, the data on police murders of black men simply doesn't support what we're being told. It just doesn't. I mean, it's just, it's just fundamental facts. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get off into that. Before puberty, suicide rates among males and females, I feel like my mic is going in and out. You all hearing that? Or is that just me? Before puberty, suicide rates among males and females are about equal. But after puberty, between 10 and 14, boys commit suicide at twice the rates of girls. Between 15 and 19, boys commit suicide at four times the rates of girls. And between 20 and 24, the rate of male suicide as compared to their female counterparts is five to six times that of females. During the Depression, you know, when people were leaping off buildings, 154 men committed suicide for every 100 women. By 2015, it was 350 boys and men committing suicide for every 100 women. According to the Defense Department, more veterans commit suicide each year, over 6,000 that were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. And, and look, that's an underestimation, they believe, because men who commit suicide tend to try to hide it in order to make sure their families can get the life insurance. So they believe even those numbers are somewhat deflated. And veterans are 7.9% of the population, but commit 13.5% of the suicides. And of course, 90% of veterans are men. So this is a male problem. The U.S. jail and prison population increased by more than 700% between, 700% between 1973 and 2013. And of that population, 93% are males. 93% of the people in prison are males. Now here's an interesting fact. Studies of ISIS fighters in prison in Lebanon showed that the single most common factor among them was not their religious upbringing, but the absence of a father in the home. By eighth grade, 41% of girls are proficient in writing while only 20% of boys are. Boys are expelled from school three times more often than girls. According to the Digest of Education Statistics in 2016, girls get 60% of the college degrees. In 1965, they got 40%. Now it's reversed. Girls get 60%, boys get 39% or 40%. 70% of valedictory honors go to girls. 70% of the Ds and Fs go to boys. 60% of high school dropouts are boys. Twice as many American boys are diagnosed with ADHD as girls. Twice as many boys are diagnosed with developmental disabilities than girls. Boys are three to five times more likely, depending on what data you read, that's why I got that gap there, three to five times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls. And the lower numbers, because some scientists argue that because of the way girls present, it's harder to diagnose autism in girls than it is in boys. But some say, no, it's really about five times as many boys and girls. Some say, well, no, probably more like three times as many. 
but nobody disagrees that boys are far more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls. And by the way, listen to this. Something is going on. I don't know what. In 1980, one in 1,000 children was diagnosed with autism. And today, one in 68. Did you hear that number? One in 1,000 in 1980. And today, it's one in 68. Yeah, it may be the vaccinations, but something, something's clearly going on, okay? Now, I, but I don't think anybody has a full comprehensive explanation for why boys, boys seem to be far more affected by what's going on, whatever it is, than girls. But once again, research on these problems shows one persistent correlation. You can't argue that every situation, it, it is the cause, but you can argue that in every situation you see a correlation of what? Absence of fathers. Absence of fathers. Look, one study showed that the absence of a father has an impact on the child's mental and physical health prenatal. In other words, children are healthier even prenatal when their fathers are there. Where the father is absent, according to child and family research, uh, child and family research study, when the father is absent, a child is three more times likely to be born with developmental disabilities. And the woman is twice as likely to have pregnancy complications in delivery. So one, one question all of this raises is, well then, well, wait a minute, because father absence affects boys and girls. Why aren't the girls as in fact, uh, affected by all of this? Well, they probably are as affected, but their response, I think, is clearly different. In other words, boys are more likely to work out their pain by hurting themselves or hurting others. So they end up in prison or, or they do high-risk activities that, that get themselves killed. So, so boys without dads present are much more predictable problem for, problem for society as a whole. An Institute of American Values study concluded for every 1% reduction in family fragmentation, in other words, if you could increase by 1% the number of fathers in the home, they say for every 1% increase, you save the taxpayer $1.1 billion in social cost. Because of course that tracks right through uh, the entire life of that, that child. So, ch and get this, children born poor, born into a poor family, raised by both married parents, have an 80% chance of moving into the middle class or affluence. Whereas according to a Brookings Institute study, and Brookings Institute is no conservative institute, they're fairly, they call themselves middle of the road. I think they lean a little liberal, but nevertheless, their study indicated children born into a middle class income home raised without a dad are four times more likely to end up in poverty. In other words, a kid raised in modest circumstances, but with mother and father there, is likely to go up in their income over their lifetime, and children raised in a, in a middle class or affluent family 
without a dad, likely to go down economically in their lifetime. Wow. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard the expression, the canary in the coal mine. You know, it comes, of course, from mining. And the whole point is that carbon monoxide can seep into tunnels and into crevices. And it is because it's a, a, a colorless, odorless gas that is deadly, uh, you don't know it until you're dead. <laughs> you know, it kills you. So I, they probably have more uh, precise technological ways of measuring this now. But, but in earlier days, they would take a canary into the coal mine because if you looked and saw that the canary was dead or dying, that's an alarm system. You know, you say, uh-oh, something's wrong. Because the canary will die before human beings will die. And so the canary in the coal mine is an expression of something that gives you a warning of danger impending. And you know what? I really believe that what's happening with boys in our culture is the canary in the coal mine. Is telling us that far worse things are coming if we don't get a handle on how to help these boys become men. Amen. You know, the crisis among males, because of the, the far left nature of the culture and is so imbued with feminism now, the, the, the crisis among males is met with a great big yawn. Because, you know, it's almost like I said the, the suicide rates are, are rising dramatically among white males. You know what you get? Well, you know, they're, they're beneficiaries of white privilege. What difference does it make? You know, they're already, they've, they've got it. They've, everything's fine with them. Well, you know, all males, of course, are beneficiaries of, of male privilege. So, well, you know, the men, men will be fine. But the men are, are, are really not doing so well uh, based on everything we know about what's going on in our society. Um, look, men today are caricatured, de-emphasized, and attacked for manhood. We've gone from, I heard one person express it this way, we've gone from father knows best to father knows less. You know, now the father's a joke. Mom's got the wisdom. No, no, no disrespect meant to moms, but yeah, mom's got the wisdom and dad is an idiot. That's, that's, the, that, that's the caricature that is portrayed now. So when you hear about males committing suicide, uh, no big deal. They'll be all right. Or we're too busy trying to redress the imbalance of power and privilege among males, we're too busy trying to take care of women. I mean, we've got a vice presidential candidate right now. I didn't hear any discussion about qualifications, about character, about anything. All I heard was, we need a black woman. That's, those are the qualifications, huh? How about character? How about integrity? How about ability? Well, that doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's what we've come to. And while we're continuing as a society and these cultural institutions are continuing to push this whole issue of we've got to advance the woman, we've got to advance the woman, we've got to advance the women, the fellas are being left behind. I mean, overrepresented in prison, 
underrepresented in college graduates. What's that portend for the future? Now, look. So basically, girls can be feminine and vulnerable and strong, right? But if men are masculine and strong, they're accused of what? Suffering from toxic masculinity. So boys are expected to suppress their masculine tendencies. In fact, see, what they argue is, oh, no, no, no. Those masculine tendencies, that's just a social construct. That's what people are teaching their children. Let me tell you something. Boys and girls are different. Period. We were, we were having uh, a game over in the youth center. We must have had about, I don't know, 20, 25 kids over there for that. And you know, they, were, they had this thing where, what did they have? They had some kind of light, uh, I don't know, it was paper or, but something that wasn't gonna hurt them. And the, and the name of the, the game was, you, you, you play music and you have to get as many of your things across the line to the boys and the boys had to get as many of their things across the line to the girls. When the music stopped, whoever had the least on their side won. Whoever got the most on the other side won. So it was the girls versus the boys. Now, I just, just sat back and watched. Because here's what the girls were doing. The girls were going. And the boys were going. Ah! Ah! <laughs> The girls were happy to get theirs across the line. The boys wanted to make it like a rocket, you know, like they were throwing a football. And just, just, just observing them. That's not social construct. That's just something wired into male DNA. And trying to suppress that as opposed to guiding it and directing it, I think is what's creating a lot of identity issues among men. Because the, it, it, everything in them wants to be masculine, but they're told that's not good. When I was growing up, we played cops and robbers. And if we didn't have a, a stick or something to make a gun, we made it with our hand. Boom, bang, bang, boom. Oh, can't do that now. You might shoot somebody. I mean, look, we, we played tackle football in the park. We wrestled, we boxed, um, we, we did stupid things. I remember we would, we would go over, there was a little field across, this was when I was living in foster care, I was younger, we'd go over in fields and you know, bees would be flying around and, and we, we, would have, we would have a contest of seeing who could grab a bee so fast and throw him down and stun him before he could sting you. <laughs> I didn't say we were smart. I just said we, we, we were just being boys. In fact, I, you know, and I, I loved, I, I remember doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Cause you know, you, there were all these myths like a daddy long legs. If you put him in a jar and buried him in the yard, he would disappear at midnight. And I would get, catch a daddy long legs and stick him in a jar, go out and dig a hole in the yard and stick him down there. And then get up in the middle of the night and walk down there and, and open it up and see it. And of course he's there. I'm thinking, wow, this didn't work. Well, I caught two great big old gardener snakes. You know, snake, gardener snakes, gardens, garter snakes aren't that big, but you know, they can grow a couple feet long. And I caught two old nice sized garter snakes uh, uh, toward the end of the day. And I walked in and dropped them in the washing machine 
uh, my foster mother's washing machine and, and uh, went up and, you know, at the end of the day, went to bed. That morning, I heard a blood-curdling scream. Ah! I jumped up, I said, uh-oh, she found my snakes.